Enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. to the bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman hello and welcome to I've got a few things to say about Superman this is episode number 16 and my name is snark McGill no messing around this time, I know what you're here for, and I'm going to give it to you. We're going to get straight into this by taking a look at Adventure Comics number 293 from February 1962. Cover credits on this are by Kurt Swan and George Klein, and I really dig this cover. It shows, it depicts Superboy, and he's being knocked out of the sky, and he's thinking to himself, Ow, oh, Great Scott, my pals from the future, Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, and Saturn Girl are k killing me with deadly rays from their kryptonite rings. Choke, why? And we see, you know, this is all depicted right here on the cover, those Legionnaires zapping him with their kryptonite rings, and uh, we get a little box that says, Featuring the Legion of Super Traitors. And I'm thinking, why? Well, it's Probably because, in case you haven't noticed, Superboy, your friends are kind of jerks. <laughs> Legion was always doing stuff like this. Although we will see in this uh, particular story that uh, it's not just the Legion uh, being jerks or pulling pranks or anything like that this time. There is actually some serious stuff going on. And I say serious in, of course, air quotes. By the way, uh, of course, we are continuing our look at the origins of the Phantom Zone. So this is a Phantom Zone related story. Uh, all will be uh, made clear here shortly. So we're going to go ahead, we're going to jump right into this. And of course, we turn the page and we see uh, the thing that was, you know, common back during this time. Uh, the, the opening splash, which is a sec essentially like a second cover here. So this uh, second cover is pretty cool. We see... Crypto, the super dog, leading the charge. He says, let's go, gang. This is a job for, are you ready for this? The Legion of Super Pets. And we see him being followed by a flying cat, a flying monkey, and a flying horse. So the, uh, the script reads as such. It says here, though Superboy is the mightiest boy on earth, admired by all but the criminals he battles, it is only natural for him to want friends who possess tremendous powers like himself. This heartfelt desire came true the day he joined the Legion of Superheroes, a club of the far distant future. For each Legionnaire has at least one superpower. The Boy of Steel considers the Super Club members to be his staunch friends. 
and so it is a terrible blow to him one day when his super youth comrades turn on him and become the Legion of Super Traitors. Now, this is pretty cool. We see Superboy in the same uh, splash page here. At the bottom of it, we see Superboy, and he looks like he's dead. He's uh, completely green in a very eerie color of green, too. He's lying there, and uh, standing around him, uh, again, are those three Legionnaires, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy. And Cosmic Boy's looking up. He sees Crypto leading the charge of the Super Pets, and he says, only they can save Superboy and Earth. Saturn Girl is saying, will Crypto, Streaky, Super Monkey, and Super Horse succeed? And Lightning Lad, I don't know what he's doing. By the way, he looks like he has a broken wrist or something. Uh, his uh, left hand is all messed up there. I'm not sure what's going on there. So we turn the page. We get straight into this story. By the way, this story is written by Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel penciled by Kurt Swan and inked by George Klein. And I just want to say right out of the gate, in case I forget to say it later, I really like the art in this issue. So, one afternoon in Smallville, as Clark Superboy Kent helps out in his father's general store, so we see uh, Pa Kent, and he's kind of checking if the coast is clear. He says, no one's in sight. So Clark turns, and using his super speed, he basically unpacks all of their uh, new arrivals for the day. He's, he's seen here throwing yellow corn, cans of yellow corn, onto the shelves at super speed. So basically he's doing uh, all of Jonathan Kent's work here at super speed, or all of his chores, one or the other. Pa Kent praises him for saying, And with the labels facing forward, good aiming, lad, you've saved me hours of work. This is the last that we see of Pa Kent in this uh, tale, so I guess he bugged out and he went to, uh, you know, I don't know, the movies or something, so we don't see him anymore in this tale. Shortly as Clark's schoolmate, Crazy Pants Lana Lang, enters the store. So we see her at the counter, she's checking out, and she says, I guess that'll be all, Clark. And Superboy has no respect for people's privacy or anything like that. He's actually using his x-ray vision on her handbag, and he notices that she forgot peaches on her shopping list. So he holds up a can of peaches and says, we're having a special today on peaches. And she's like, oh, yes, I forgot that. And then, of course, immediately as she's leaving, she starts to think to herself, hmm, was it mere coincidence that Clark brought up the peaches? If he were secretly Superboy, and she's giving a look back over her shoulder, and Clark's going, oh, God. The telltale glance, she's suspecting my secret identity again. And I'm like, well, why did, why did you do that? You set yourself up, dude. You got nobody to blame but yourself. Anyway, later as he returns home, now Clark has <laughs> this weird thing. By the way, I just noticed on his radio set that he has here, the top of the radio set has this weird... I don't know what this is supposed to be, a speaker or what, but it actually looks like the window to uh, Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. It's really weird. Anyway, he has this light that blinks. <laughs> it's just so weird here. He says, uh, my lamp's blinking. He says, that's a signal which means either the President, the Pentagon, or Police Chief Parker of Smallville want to contact Super. I'm thinking that's quite a spread there, you know? The president, the Pentagon, or the local Hick police chief. Okay, whatever. So anyway, they're trying to get in touch with Superboy. So he says, I'll switch on the shortwave set. So he turns on his shortwave, and he hears a report. Police Chief Parker calling for Superboy because a plane is in distress. And I'm thinking, you know, this has got to get old for, for Superboy. And we would see this carry on, of course, to when he becomes Superman. You know, being called constantly for things. But at least in this particular case... 
it does seem to be some it's not like batman syndrome you know we're we're Commissioner Gordon would call Batman, you know, for mundane stuff that really the cops should be handling. At least in this case, I don't know what Police Chief Parker could possibly do about a crashing airplane. So at least it's relevant to Superboy and his power set and everything. So Superboy leaves through his uh, secret tunnel, which uh, always deposits him out in the middle of nowhere. And every time he ever does this in the comics, of course, you got to get the explanation of why and it's protecting his secret identity and all that. Anyway. He does all that, and he's headed for this crashing plane. He says, saving the plane will be a cinch. Wait, I'm always rescuing endangered aircraft. This time, I'll be different. Instead of saving the plane, I'll wreck it. Ha ha ha! The propellers shattering on my invulnerable hand. Fall, plane! And he's, he's all of a sudden, he's decided, I'm done with this rescuing thing. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna cause some mischief. Thankfully... Right at that moment, Crypto the Superdog just kind of materializes out of nowhere and he goes, Yipes, I don't believe this. My master always does good things, not bad things like this. I'd better act fast before lives are lost. So Crypto, you know, I'm thinking, what? what? Now, he doesn't have thumbs. He doesn't have hands. What could Crypto possibly do to save a falling airplane? This is pretty inventive on Jerry Siegel's part. So what he does is Crypto finds this barn. And he flies around the barn at super speed using the tip of his super strong tail to shear off the top of this barn. Now, it never shows exactly how he gets the top of the barn off. It just shows him like going around it and, and basically using his tail like a can opener and, and ripping off the, the roof of this uh, barn. Next, we see him using his super breath. Now, keep in mind, he's a dog. I mean, I, do, can dogs blow the same way like, like people can blow? I, I'm not sure. I, I've never really seen that. But anyway, I'm, I, I can go along with the gag. So he uses his super breath to gently set the plane down in this barn. Uh, okay, you know, it, it's inventive. I'm not sure how that whole thing works, but we're going to see sillier things in some of these stories that we're looking at. So again, I can go along with the gag. So he rescues, Crypto rescues the plane. It's a great panel here. He lands next to Superboy and Crypto is giving him like the worst scowl ever. I mean, he's, for it, for it being a dog, it conveys a lot of emotion. I mean, he's just giving him this look like, what is wrong with you? It's a really great panel. Superboy is distressed and he says, great Scott, I'd have killed those people in the plane if not for Crypto. What came over me? And Crypto realizes, you know, something's going on. He says, Superboy appears sorry now. Superboy looks down at Crypto, and again, he's got, like, too big of a forehead. It's it's really it looks like he's he's having a, a hair issue here, like, like his hairline's receding. It makes him look much older than just a teen in some of these panels. He says, Crypto seems angry at me, and I don't blame him. Wait, why shouldn't I blame him? Where does this mere mutt get off looking down his wet nose at the mightiest boy in the universe? So next panel, we see Superboy has seized Crypto by the tail, and he's whirling him around like Thor's hammer, and he's intent on flinging him out into space into the path of a green kryptonite meteor swarm that he sees. He's going to basically throw him to his death. Pretty gruesome. And Crypto is thinking, Choke, my, my, my master wants to kill me. I thought he loved me. If, if this is how he really feels, I, I don't want to live. <laughs> so much drama. I love the next panel. I wish I could isolate, you know, this panel and, and without the word balloons and everything, because I I think this makes just it, it's adorable. It's such a, a just a nice panel. Uh, Superboy kind of recovers and he's like, 
forgive me, Crypto. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what possessed me. And he's kneeling down and he's hugging the you know crypto his his pet dog and and kind of cradling crypto's face you know up against his own and everything with his other it's just a really sweet panel and crypto's way, uh, wagging his tail and he says i'm glad he doesn't hate me anymore but it really is it's a very sweet panel i really like that i wish there was a way to kind of isolate that because uh, that's that's a really nice piece of artwork i like that so later Superboy goes home and he confides in his parents that he doesn't know what's going on. You know, he's, he has no idea what's happening to him. Uh, he doesn't know, uh, you know, is it red kryptonite? Is it some weird radiation? You know, what is going on? And he's very concerned. So the next day, his signal lamp goes off and he's able to decode it because of the flashes that it's the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, they have come to visit him in his own time and they'd like to meet him somewhere. So he flies out to the heart of the Gobi Desert, thinking you can't find a more convenient place, but okay. So he goes to the Gobi Desert, he meets up with the Legionnaires, and, and again, this is the Legionnaires from the cover, Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. And Lightning Lad says, Hi Superboy, I see you got the code message I sent over your signal lamp via the, my mastery of electricity. Okay. So it's good to see you, Lightning Lad. This is uh, Superboy, and he says, uh, and you too, Cosmic Boy and Saturn Girl. He says, they traveled here through the time barrier in their time cabinet, which is a really weird thing to call. It's, it's the time bubble. It's the classic time bubble that they always use. And he says, what's that strange device they've set up, I wonder? So they have this device that basically looks like the magic mirror from, like, Snow White, but set up on... It's not quite a tripod, but, you know, set up on legs with, like, a control panel in the front. That's basically the visual you've got here. And Cosmic Boy explains, he says, Superboy, this intradimensional lens we've built enables us to look into the Phantom Zone and view criminals who were sentenced there by the judges of the planet Krypton before it exploded. So this is pretty cool, and this actually creates a bit of a precedent because we would see much later where Superman... I forget if Superboy has this, but I know that Superman would eventually have, I think he called it his Zonophone, I think, which is kind of a dumb name. But it, it, it gave him just this. It gave him the ability to look into and communicate with the people that were in the Phantom Zone, mostly the criminals. So uh, Saturn Girl continues to say, since you're from Krypton 2, we'd like you to identify the Phantoms for our records. So this kind of implies to me that there are still... Well, maybe not, but it, it kind of created the impression like the Phantoms were still there, at least some of them, in the Legion's time. We're going to talk more about this a little bit later because this becomes important in another story that we're going to uh, try to cover this episode. So anyway, we see... First one that's identified, and I really like this, is the first one. Superboy looks, and we see three zoners only one of which I recognize. The other two, I, I think they're just I, I think they're just people. I don't think they're meant to be zoners we've met before. They're just other phantoms. But the one that Superboy identifies, he says, Gasp, he says, that's Jaxer. He was sentenced into the zone for destroying an inhabited Kryptonian moon during an experiment. Once he temporarily escaped to Earth and masqueraded in Smallville as a super Pa Kent, and we saw that. That was actually Jaxer's first appearance. Next, we get the return of an old favorite. Now, you know, again, you know, there's this this ongoing thing. I'm going to set up a debate of sorts between these two. But, you know, Jaxer, I've already said, it's kind of my favorite Phantom Zoner. The next one we see 
this is everybody else's favorite Phantom Zoner, seemingly, we see General Zod. Now, there's a speaker that's set up at the top of the magic mirror that they're looking in here, so they can actually hear General Zod, and he says, Super brat! He says, Your father, Jor-El, testified against me. And Superboy says, That's General Zod, who tried to make himself dictator of Krypton with an army of imperfect duplicates of himself he had created. But how is it possible for me to hear him? And Cosmic Boy is pointing at the speaker. And he says, simple. This speaker broadcasts the Phantom's voices. I point this out because this would change. It hasn't come up yet, but eventually it would be established that the Phantom Zoners communicate through telepathy. Now, how that works with the later Zonophone thing, I'm not sure. But here they're making it sound as if the Phantoms speak, and they don't. So it's kind of weird. So anyway, next we see, and it's cool because Zod is kind of uh, turned and looking over his shoulder, we see approaching him from behind, Monel, and Superboy says, this is Choke Monel, a friend from the planet Daxum. I placed him in the zone until I can someday discover a cure for his vulnerability caused by exposure to lead, which affects him like kryptonite affects me. Um, no, it doesn't, but we're going to talk more about that too. <laughs> It, well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, the thing with this is, and this would be fluid and kind of drive me crazy because it was established in Superboy 89, first appearance of Monel, that lead kind of affects Monel the same way Kryptonite does, but the big difference is that when Superman is exposed, Superboy or Superman is exposed to Kryptonite, if the Kryptonite is then removed, so long as he has not already died, he will recover. Now, it's not the same way, or at least not supposed to be the same way with Monel. Once exposed to lead, he's going to die. It's fatal exposure, regardless if the lead is removed. We're going to see that played fast and loose with for the rest of Monel's life. They're going to play with that, you know, and, it, and it's going to be very inconsistent. So that's going to come up in another story. Next panel is really cool, except there's a mistake. I'll, I'll point it out here in just a second. So. As Superboy sadly looks away, suddenly, Superboy, this is Monel. The members of the Legion are betraying you. They're releasing the criminals in the Phantom Zone. Watch out! And we see Superboy, and he's looking at the magic mirror, and he says, Great Scott, materializing hands and feet emerging from the lens. And so he dives into the magic mirror and destroys it. The only problem was is that the hands and feet that were emerging from the lens are Monel's. Or at least. That's what I'm going to stick with based on the color. Now, we don't see the body. Arguably, General Zod is closest to the magic mirror, you know, on, on his side of the mirror. But what we see is we see two hands. We see one sleeve. It's a red sleeve. And then we see one leg coming out. And it's uh, got red leggings with blue boots. That is Monel's color scheme, not General Zod's. Um, I don't recall General Zod ever having red and blue uh, in his outfit, no matter how they colored or miscolored him in some adventures. As a matter of fact, up to this point, I don't think we had leggings on General Zod. I think he had essentially like a, a tunic. Like he's, he's always ha has a military style uniform. So it's like a military tunic with a military hat, shorts like Superman, you know, like trunks, no leggings and boots, which is just ridiculous looking on a grown man. But again, I don't think he had actual leggings. So anyway, I'm saying this is Monel. I'm saying basically the color is screwed up. Now I checked in other uh, prints of this beyond just the one that I'm looking at here, and it seems like in all reprints, it's it's they're all colored this way. So 
Um, it's strange that nobody seemed to ever catch this or correct it. That's just odd. But anyway, Superboy smashes the viewer. Uh, he says, this isn't a viewer, it's a device that would have opened uh, the Phantom Zone and enabled these criminals to come out and destroy me. And the Legionnaires are basically doing the, ah, you know, foiled again. And uh, <laughs> one of them saying, plan A failed. Quickly, we'll use plan B. Well, plan B is what they should have led off with because they've all got kryptonite rings. And now they're doing what is shown on the cover where they basically attack Superboy with their kryptonite rings, knock him out of the sky, and they're intent on destroying him. And he says, why are you doing this? You're my friends. And Saturn Girl says, that's what you think. Cosmic Voice says, we've always secretly hated you because you're more powerful than us. But that won't be true when you're dead. <laughs> With friends like these. So Superboy is laying there dying. And, you know, I'm glad Superboy, Superman never, you know, usually in these stories, never perishes from these things. But I can't help but notice that Man, it sure seems to take a long time for him to expire from uh, kryptonite radiation. So anyway, he tries to summon his robots. Of course, you know, with Cosmic Boy's magnetic powers, the robots are no threat to him whatsoever. So eventually, what happens is suddenly the superheroes stiffen as four startling objects swoop down into view. And these things are disturbing on so many levels. They are giant brains in globes. Now, that's enough of a freaky image, but then every one of them has hair all over them as well. So, they're very... Well, I try to keep this show family-friendly, but use your imagination. It's not a pleasant visual. <laughs> and what, the lead head brain is going good i'm gonna imagine he sounds like the emperor he says no longer need do we conceal from him that we the brain globes of rambat masterminded his downfall in his weakened condition he cannot oppose us and superboy's just going what <laughs> which is yeah that's a great reaction so these brain things, you know, they've evolved to a point where they don't need physical bodies anymore or anything, but their own world has been destroyed. Uh, it kind of makes it sound like it was a Krypton scenario, although I wonder if they themselves might have been the masters of their own downfall. But anyway, they need a new planet, and they have chosen Earth. Of course they have. So Superboy says, Ow, oh, now I'm beginning to understand all this. So it's these brain things that have put a mental whammy on the Legion of Superheroes. They don't want to be doing what they're doing, but they cannot help themselves. They are being controlled by the brain globes to destroy Superboy. Now, how the brain globe things knew of the Legion, knew to call them, or had the ability to call them from the future to come back, I have no idea. That is never touched upon in this story, and we're just going to ignore it. Otherwise, I'll get a headache. So, suddenly, again, out of nowhere, we see Crypto come charging in. And he scares the crap out of the globe things, the mind, you know, the brains and globe things, because they cannot control animals. And so... Crypto is intense on taking them out, but uh, the lead, again, the lead brain thing steps forward and he says, harm one of us and the remaining three globes will project brain waves, which will set off a device in Meteor Pit. I, I guess this is a location. It's, it's, in, it's in, air, you know, in quotes. It says Meteor Pit that will destroy Earth. 
And we see a great shot of Crypto kind of skidding to a halt in the sky, which is always funny. He says, Choke, they've outwitted me. Well, the Legion, they're now free of the mental control of these globe things, so they rush to their time sphere, and essentially they travel through different eras in time to collect other super animals because they cannot be controlled by the brain globe. So they travel 20 years into the future to Midvale Orphanage. And I'm wondering if their math is correct on this because that seems a little weird. But anyway, 20 years into the future where they recruit Streaky, the super cat pet of Supergirl. Then uh, next, they, it says, next as the fierce, uh, sphere streaks to Phobos, a moon of Mars, there they find Super Monkey. Uh, who I can just totally live without. And he, uh, it's just a really weird and embarrassing scene. I'm just going to skip past that. They recruit him. Next, and this part's actually pretty cool. It says, after uh, the trip through time, it says, our telescopic viewer shows Supergirl leaving her pet super horse at its corral on Asteroid Z, following one of uh, her missions in space. And we get a nice little editor's note that says, Yes, readers, this is a preview glimpse of a super pet Supergirl will own someday in the future. This would come to be. So this is actually pretty neat that in this time travel story, we get the first appearance of Comet, who eventually would become uh, you know, kind of the super pet of Supergirl. So I, I think that's neat that they did. I mean, obviously they... They must have set that up, I guess, or somebody mandated that, okay, you said you were going to do it, so now you've got to do it or something. I don't know. I, I don't know when Comet eventually came in past this point into Supergirl continuity, but anyway, this is his first appearance. So now they've recruited uh, these other super pets. They return back to Superboy, uh, you know, being exposed to the kryptonite and dying from the kryptonite exposure and everything. And... The brain globe things, this device that they've set up in Meteor Pit essentially is to move the planet. They are intent on stealing the Earth and they're going to take it to their solar system. So while they're doing that and they're distracted, the Legionnaires arrive, they release the Super Pets, and they say, Super Pets, uh, this is a Saturn girl using her tele uh, telepathy, you know, super telepathy says, I order you to attack the evil brain globes. And Crypto says, I want to get in on this too. So they charge into battle and the brain things are just, they're, you know, they're frightened beyond all belief. They says, Urk, an army of super animals. We, we cannot control their minds. <laughs> and we get some really great shots here. We see uh, both Crypto and Beppo the Super Monkey are running at super speed on top of the globes and making them just spin, you know, uncontrollably. We see Streaky the Super Cat. I, he's my favorite in this because he just uses his heat vision to basically boil one in the in the can, which is pretty cool. <laughs> we see the Super Horse using his uh, invulnerable head to butt one of the uh, brains in the globes. You'd think these things are brains in in globes. You know, any one of these actions would, would seemingly have killed them, or maimed them, or seriously injured them. But uh, anyway, they they give up and they fly away in a hurry, swearing never to return, which is pretty cool. Saturn Girl is well pleased with herself. She says, "Hooray! My plan to have four super animals simultaneously attack the globe succeeded." So they all land. They check on Superboy and. He's no longer green. He's still unconscious, but he's going to be all right. 
and Saturn Girl says, Superboy is beginning to stir. He'll revive shortly. We see Beppo the Super Monkey is, I don't know, giving him a, a hug or checking his pulse or something. And he says, me remember him. Him was Super Baby when me met him. Oh, I hate baby talk. And it's even worse applied to a monkey. Uh, I do like uh, Streaky, though. Streaky is uh, very cat-like in this picture. He's kneeling down uh, at Superboy's hand and... It's unclear if he's like sniffing at him or licking him or what, but he just he's thinking to himself, I like Superboy. <laughs> it's a cute little panel. Next panel, completely ridiculous. It says, after talking with Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl mentally communicates with the pets. And she says, we officially name you the Legion of Super Pets, an animal branch of our super club. Beppo is standing very proudly, not thinking anything. Uh, crypto again standing very proudly and thinking what an honor streaky is just kind of hanging out and going gee and then super horse is like dude we're animals it, it's completely ridiculous but anyway they're uh they're awarded whenever this distinction is or whatever it's almost you know i almost imagine them being like medals being pinned on them or something the way they're lined up it, it is very silly so the Legionnaires take off in uh, their time globe, and I'm thinking, uh, wait, what? Because we see Superboy still laying on the ground, Crypto and Saturn Girl are staring up into the sky, and the time globe is clearly right behind her. But she says, uh, Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy are flying Streaky, Super Monkey, and Super Horse into the time barrier back to their proper time areas while I remain behind with the second time sphere. What? Where'd that come from? Anyway, seconds later, as Superboy revives, no longer affected by the kryptonite fever, he says, the brain globes are defeated. How'd you do it? And she says, sorry, I can't tell you yet. And this makes no sense to me whatsoever. She says, otherwise, Superboy would learn about Superhorse being Supergirl's pet. He mustn't learn yet. Supergirl will someday exist on this world. That would be contrary to fate and might have dangerous consequences. What? What are you talking about? Just tell him I recruited some super animals that helped out in a pinch, and the things are... Why did she have to... Why would you even go into who Comet is, or that he's going to belong to Supergirl, or... Ugh. Anyway. So she doesn't tell him. So... Crypto splits. He takes off. And Superboy looks up into the sky. He says, Great guns. My telescopic vision reveals the celestial positions of the stars are slightly different than what they should be. And he realizes that the planet has been moved. So he goes, he destroys the machine that the brain globes were using to move the earth. And then, wow. Um, I don't even know where to start with this one. Next panel, it says hurtling off into outer space. The most powerful youth in the universe performs an astounding feat of Herculean strength. So we see him out in space and I think this is supposed to be South America. And he's using his super breath. And he says, I'm blowing Earth back into its proper orbit. Now calendars and clocks won't be incorrect. What? No. Okay. It's, it's silly enough when Superboy, Superman, Supergirl, whoever would essentially do a handstand and push the earth around 
that you know, I but I can kind of maybe forgive that. I don't know. Sometimes I was I saw it depicted very very creatively in the comics. Sometimes that was really cool. This right here, how in the world could this possibly work? So for one, how can he hold a big enough lungful of air to be able to move a planet? But also, uh yeah. So Wow, I, I don't even know where to start with this. For one, what's keeping him from blowing the atmosphere of the planet off the planet? Basically just stripping the atmosphere right off of it in one super breath. Also, what is... The, now, I don't know my geography of South America worth beans. I don't know what the... I don't know. Is this Brazil, Venezuela? Where is this? But wherever this is that this blast of super breath is hitting, what is that doing to that region? That, that would be like setting off an atomic bomb, wouldn't it? I mean, that would just level anything. It'd be like Hurricane, you know, 12 force winds, you know. <laughs> if it's enough to move the planet, what is that doing to that region where he's using his super breath? Even if it was a completely deserted region, you know, it's got to be ca causing all kinds of environmental... Pro oh, it just It's ridiculous. It is flat ridiculous. But anyway, he moves the planet backwards where it ought to be. And then he rejoins Saturn Girl. She's taking off in her time bubble. She says, well done, Superboy. Now I must rejoin my comrades in the future. I'm sorry the brain globes forced the superheroes to act like traitors. And he says, I understand. And I'm thinking, I understand you guys are jerks. <laughs> so she disappears. He says, she's vanishing into the time barrier with her vehicle. Hmm. Will I ever know how the superheroes defeated the brain globes? I guess not, dude. So later he goes home. And he's talking to his parents, and he says, After I tell Police Chief Parker my story, he'll announce, I attacked that stricken plane while under the globe's sinister influence. Okay? Why does Chief Parker even have to know that he tried to kill the occupants of that plane? Why, why would he even say anything? I just, I rescued the plane. Why, why couldn't it just be at that? Anyway, Pacant says, you can learn how the brain globes van uh, were vanquished, son, by traveling into the past or by overtaking light rays in uh, from Earth in space. Okay. And Superboy says, true, but I won't. There must be a very good reason why Saturn Girl wouldn't tell me. And believe it or not, that's the end of the story. Uh, it says, coming soon, an amazing story featuring the Legion of Super Pets. Don't miss it. Yeah, okay. And I think I have that issue, too. Yeah, it's a humdinger. Um, so, yeah, this story is, it's okay. It's uh, its not great. It's fun. I mean, I, I get a kick out of it. And I do, believe it or not, kind of have a soft spot for the Legion of Super Pets. Um, but that said, what this story, again, what this whole thing is all about, it's about the Phantom Zone. So, focusing on the Phantom Zone elements of this, second appearance of General Zod, which is pretty cool. Again, Jaxer is kind of the front and center guy here. Um, first appearance of some, you know, some method of looking into and communicating with the Phantom Zone, which was, uh, pretty cool. Still no telepathy in the zone, or at least, uh, you know, not that we're seeing here. We don't see the villains communicating with each other, and uh, Cosmic Boy clearly says the Phantom's voices. So, still not established yet as the communication method of the Phantom Zone. Uh, and as I said before, not connected really with our focus here, but um, worth noting, first appearance of Comet the Super Horse. This particular story has been reprinted a fair number of times. It was reprinted in Superboy number 147 in 1968. 
Uh, Adventure Comics number 495, which I think is one of those digest size uh, issues uh, from 1983. Legion of Superheroes Archives Volume 1 hardcover in 1991. Superboy number 147 Replica Edition number 1 in 2003, which I think is one of those glossy cover editions. I think I have that. And Showcase Presents Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 Trade Paperback in 2007. Hope you liked this story. I thought it was pretty cool. So, moving right along here. Now, I want to touch briefly on a couple of stories before we get to our next story for this time around. So the next story I want to talk about, and I'm just going to talk very briefly about this when we are not covering this story in depth, and uh, I will explain why, is Superboy number 95 from March of 1962. This is an imaginary story, which is why I'm not going to cover this one in depth because it's imaginary and I don't think it really lends anything into the overall mythos um, of the Phantom Zone. It's just worth mentioning that the Phantom Zone is in the story and there's a couple uh, important things with this. For one, once again, our villain is Jaxer and this time he's accompanied by a completely unnamed zoner, which... I'll be keeping an eye out for this guy, but I don't think we ever see him again. He doesn't look like any zoner we've seen up to this point, and he doesn't look like any zoner I can recall ever seeing again. And it's, like I say, it's it's worth noting that he's just not named in this story. as He's not referenced at all. Um, and basically what happens in this story is this is a... Uh, you know, an imaginary story, what what I like to refer to as a what-if story. This is what Marvel Comics would call them. It's essentially what if the entire L family came to Earth. Not just Kal-El being rescued from the planet, but Jor-El, Lara, and baby Kal-El all came to Earth uh, when Krypton was destroyed. So essentially that's the story. They land on Earth, they set themselves up in Smallville, they become friends of the Kents, but clearly they are raising their own son. So they are a super family on Earth. Well, unknown to the super family, there is uh, trouble awaiting them. For in the Phantom Zone, a strange dimensional world to which uh, Kryptonian criminals were projected many years ago instead of being executed, we see that unnamed uh, Phantom Zoner say, A space warp has opened a hole in the Phantom Zone. Quick, Jaxer, follow me. We're free again after all these years. They get out for like, I don't know, I think it's like three panels, or excuse me, three pages rather. Um, they're intent on, for one, they want to set free the other Phantom Zoners, but they realize that they have the entire super family to contend with, and so they set about destroying the spaceship that the L family came to Earth in, and by blowing it up, it turns the fragments of it into kryptonite. Not sure how that works. And they're intent on using the kryptonite to take out the L family. But unbeknownst to them, um, Pete Ross has been given superpowers by... Um, well, by Kal-El. He's not really Clark here. And so he comes to their rescue, essentially, and the Phantom Zoners wind up back in the Phantom Zone. It's an okay story. I think it's very telling that this story, so far as I can determine, has not been reprinted. So there you go right there. It's an okay story. And as I say, the you know, there's just this little bit of the Phantom Zone part to it. 
Um, so the other things worth noting is this thing with a space warp. I'm pretty sure we will see that again. Uh, so this kind of creates a, a precedent for that. Um, and we will see this constantly through Phantom Zone history where little holes would pop open in the Phantom Zone. And there were many different explanations for these rips in the Phantom Zone. It's also worth noting uh, Jaxer's outfit. I'm going to call this Jaxer's alternate reality outfit because the color scheme on this, um, I'm pretty sure we will never see this again. And it's not what we saw previously. On the third panel depicting Jaxer in this story, he's smashing through a wall. And I couldn't tell you why, but there's something about the way he looks and his color scheme that reminds me of a magic genie. I don't know why, it just it just flat does. I can't explain it. Now, to be fair, I went back and I looked at Jaxer's first appearance that we already covered on this show, and in that story, we don't get a great look at the colors of his outfit in the very brief flashback scene uh, back to you know his days on Krypton. Of course, when you're seeing him in the zone, he's just black and white. He's just, you know, he's a ghost, he's a phantom. So we'd never really get a, a good solid look at his outfit, uh, you know, his Kryptonian outfit, normally colored. So for all intents and purposes, at this point in time, it this isn't really inaccurate. It's just this wouldn't stick. This is not what he will come to look like later. So I just want to point that out. But anyway, uh, moving quickly along, I want to also take a brief look at... Action Comics number 287. This is uh, the cover dated April 1962 issue. Now, a couple of things to note with this one. For one, in this particular issue, the letters page actually has some reactions to the Babe of Steel story that we covered last time around. So, let's see. Skimming, skimming, skimming so I can find it here. Uh, there was just a couple of things I thought that were worth noting. So here we go. This is something I caught too, and I don't remember if I brought this up in the episode, but here we go. There's a letter here that says, Dear Editor, on page 11, Action Comics number 284, we are told that Dr. Zadu is serving a 40-year term in the Phantom Zone. Yet in Superman number 150, which is the book we covered last time, says you showed Dr. Zadu telling us he got a 30-year sentence. What gives? And that's from Barry Noling in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. The answer he got was, we forgot to tell uh, forgot to tell you that Dr. Zadu got 10 years off for good behavior. What a crappy answer. We got another one here. Dear Editor, in the recent story, The Babe of Steel, you stated that Monel wrote a message to Superman through a hole in the Phantom Zone. Why didn't Monel slip through this hole himself to escape the Phantom Zone? If you can uh, wiggle out of this one, I'll eat a chunk of blue kryptonite. And this is from Dale Marino in Warren, Ohio. And the answer, I think, is just flat rude. He says, you must have a hole in your head if that's how you read that story. And that's exactly what that says. says it specifically states that the hole was a very small one, not large enough for a man to go through. This is why Superman had to reduce himself to the size of a baby in order to enter the hole and visit the Phantom Zone. Now, all of that is true, but you could be nicer about it. Uh, let's see. We also have another one that says, Dear Editor, in the story The Babe of Steel, you stated that the Phantom Zone projector had been become corroded by seawater. How could this be? The projector was made on the planet Krypton, wasn't it? Hence, it should be indestructible. Admit it, you made a boo-boo and knows, no wisecracks, please. This is from Sharon Tom of Montgomery, Alabama. And you know what? She's right, and I didn't catch that. I even commented on the thing, but I didn't, I didn't catch it. 
And she says, uh, or the answer is, yep, we made a boo-boo. You may be interested to know you're the only other reader besides yourself, uh, excuse me, that only one other reader besides yourself detected this goof. Interesting. And yeah, that's it for this one. So I thought those were interesting. So the story in here, and again, I'm not going to cover this one uh, fully in depth because for one thing, it's a bad story. But also, there's only part of the story that's really relevant. So there's a uh, one of the backup stories in here is called Supergirl's Greatest Challenge. And it's a story by Jerry Siegel, once again, art by Jim Mooney. Now, in this particular story... It involves this whole weird plot with the Legion of Superheroes being impersonated by uh, this race of chameleon people or what. So Supergirl travels into the future. But here's the weird thing, is that in the early days of the Legion of Superheroes, it was inconsistent to exactly when the Legion was. Eventually, of course, it would become that the Legion was in the 30th century and then later uh, the 31st century. But originally, uh, or, or excuse me, eventually uh, for much of the Legion's time, it was the 30th century. It was, it was essentially, it was established eventually that it, it was always taking place 1,000 years into the future from the date of the issue that was that was published or you know when the story was being published uh, but in the early days, quite often, it was referred to as the 21st century. And nebulous on that. So was it the early 21st, mid 21st, late 21st? You know, how far in the future was it? So it's not really clear on that. In this story, she travels into the future. And we get that great thing that I love where you're seeing dates fly by her as she's whizzing through the time stream. We see 1962, which is the year this is, uh, 1980, and the year 2000. And it's just, it's a trip now when you see stories like this and it's depicting years that we have now lived through. So this is all the past to us. So she arrives in the 21st century. Again, it's no more specific than that. So I don't know exactly you know, how far. This could be 2162 for all we know. This could be 100 years in the future. We're not really told just how many years, just that it's the 21st century. Anyway, there's this whole weird, wacky plot. The art's not very good. The story's really dumb. But here's the relevant part. So when it is eventually revealed to us, the reader, that the Legion is acting the way it is because it ain't the Legion, it's this race of chameleon people, they decide that they are going to banish supergirl to the phantom zone so one of the weird alien guys goes yes we've solved that problem thanks to the phantom zone ray machine we stole from the museum of forbidden weapons i don't know what oh the problem is supergirl so they call a meeting of the legion of course these aliens are all disguised as the legion and they trick her and they hit the black button and she disappears into the phantom zone along with are you ready for this Wizzy? The super cat. Now, Wizzy is a descendant of Streaky, the super cat, Supergirl's pet cat. Ugh. This is why I'm not covering this story in depth. So here's the relevant part. They go into the Phantom Zone, and it says the Phantom Zone, a twilight dimension in which the dangerous Kryptonian criminals have been projected 
uh, to live as ghost-like wraiths for the duration of their sentences because the people of Krypton did not believe in capital punishment. Are you getting tired of this explanation yet? Because you're going to get it every single time because it's just how comics worked back then. Anyway, so we see Supergirl and Wizzy. What a stupid name. Wizzy in the Phantom Zone. Here's the relevant part. Supergirl, now, she's thinking to this cat because, are you ready for this? It was explained earlier in this story, and I, I swear to God, I'm not making this up, folks. This is literally what it says. I'm going to go back a couple of pages so I can read it to you myself. He has telepathy. The cat does. I don't know, he or she, I don't know what it is. When they first meet, she says, Great Scott, it's my super pet from 1962 AD. And I'm thinking, you're still in the AD. So why throw the AD in there? So I don't know. Anyway... She says, Streaky, how in the world, uh, what in the world are you doing here in the future? And how did you ever master thought casting? Because the cat actually called to her saying, pardon the tele uh, telepathic interruption, but please give me some milk. The cat thinks to itself, Streaky, my name is Wizzy. And then he basically says, here, look at my collar. And the collar says, Wizzy, descendant of famed super cat Streaky. <sighs> so, Supergirl deducts, I'm Supergirl. Your ancestor Streaky was my pet years ago, but he wasn't telepathic. I see his descendants gain the ability through the process of evolution. What? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole debate about evolution and everything. So say it is a thing and all that, whatever. Um... This, this is no more than 138 years in the future. Evolution doesn't work that way. Does not work that way. So I don't know what they're talking about here. But anyway, so the cat's got telepathy. So she and the cat are in the Phantom Zone, and they're communicating telepathically, and Supergirl thinks to the cat, she says, Strange, the zone's empty except for you and I, Wizzy. I guess as the years went by, the phantoms who were confined here were released one by one as their sentences were completed. That is very interesting because I cannot remember for the life of me if that's ever touched upon again in the Legion timeline. And as part of this project, I am not reading Legion stories uh, involving the Phantom Zone because they don't play into my ultimate goal with this project, which is leading up to the Phantom Zone miniseries. Um, so that's not really part of it. But it does intrigue me because I can't remember. I, I, I don't remember if the Legion established whether or not there were any there was anybody left in the Phantom Zone or not. This is saying there is not. But of course, this is also saying it's the 21st century, which we know eventually will not be the case. So anyway... That's really the relevant part of this is the fact that, you know, it says that the Phantom Zone is empty. They are communicating by telepathy in the zone. Now, granted, this is the cat's power is telepathy. That's how they're communicating by telepathy. And as a matter of fact, they even combine their mental uh, prowess together and communicate with someone outside the zone so that he can set them free. The rest of the story is largely irrelevant because, again, it's a really dumb story. However, despite all of that, 
I find it interesting that very shortly, and we're going to see this develop, very shortly telepathy will become the default communication method of the Phantom Zone. Now, we did arguably get telepathy earlier than this in one of the stories, but again, it's very arguable, and I, and I pointed that out in a prior episode. I can't help but think that this story, dumb as it is, creates a precedent that somebody looked back at this and said, oh, they're communicating telepathically. That's how the, the uh, phantom zoners communicate and somehow missed the fact that, no, they're communicating telepathically in the zone because that's the cat's superpower, which is dumb. But, that you know, there you go. Also, it sets a precedent of the phantom zoners being able to use telepathy to communicate with people outside of the zone. That becomes really important in later stories because that was often a, you know, a scheme that they would use to try to set themselves free. We're going to see that time and time again. Uh, we're going to see that in one of my favorite stories, which is basically the history of the Phantom Zone coming up in a Superboy story. We're also going to see that as late as the Phantom Zone miniseries because that's the method that they, again, use to, in that case, it actually works. They do set themselves free by communicating with someone outside the zone via telepathy. So, like I say, stupid as this story is, it does have some important precedents uh, as part of it. This story, if you want to read it for yourself, because like I said, I'm not covering the whole thing because that's the only part of the story that's worth anything at all. Uh, it was reprinted a good number of times. It was reprinted in Action Comics 373 in 1969. It was reprinted in Adventure Comics number 496 in 1983. Again, I think that's one of those little digest size books. Uh, Legion of Superheroes Archives Volume 1 hardcover in 1991. Showcase Presents Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 trade paperback from 2007. And Showcase presents Supergirl Volume 2 trade paperback from 2009. So that's uh, five different ways that you can track down that story if you want to take a look at it. Last story for this time around, and this one I will be covering uh, fully, is from March, uh, excuse me, from May rather of 1962, May 62, Superman number 153. Now, there's multiple stories in this book. The story that we are looking at is called The Town of Superman. The cover on this particular book, let me flip back to the cover, because the cover actually is part of this story or relevant to this story. So the cover on this one is by Kurt Swan and George Klein. And it's a, it's a really cool cover. It says, Featuring the Super Showdown. And we see Superman wearing a... Well, I was going to say a six-shooter. It's not really. It's a it's a ray gun, but it's strapped to his his hip like a you know, like he's a like an old west uh, character, facing off with four identically clad uh, Kryptonians, and Superman is saying, "I know you're as super fast as I am, and I accept your challenge, criminals of Krypton. Draw." And one of the criminals is saying, "Foolish Superman, to think you can outdraw all of us in a duel." If only one of us hits you with his ray gun first, you'll be projected into the Phantom Zone forever. So it's a really cool cover. I like the cover on this one. So our story is later in the book, and it is actually not called the Super Showdown at all. It is actually town called the Town of Superman. And 
It is written by Edmund Hamilton. Now, the credits that I found on this says that it's penciled by Kurt Swan and inked by George Klein. I don't think that's the case on this one. This does not look like... I don't know about the inker. I'm not that familiar with George Klein, but the the penciler on this really does not look like Kurt Swan to me. It really looks. What it, I'll be honest with this really looks like to me. It looks like a combination of Wayne Boring and maybe Kurt Schaffenberger. It, it's it's hard to say. So I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I don't think the credits are that I found for this story are correct. But I anyway. Our opener to this one, it says, For years, Lois Lane has eagerly awaited, uh, has waited eagerly, but in vain, for Superman to show that he cares for her. Then one day, Lois is suddenly deluged with the romantic attention of several Supermen. You'd think this was an ideal setup for the Daily Planet's attractive reporter, wouldn't you? But hold on, don't jump to any conclusions until you learn of the astounding mystery that besets Lois after she ventures into the town of superman again written by uh, edmund hamilton and we see it this time you don't get the full page splash you just get like the little introductory panel and we see lois and she's just uh she's kind of dumbstruck as all of these identically clad kryptonian supermen start landing all around her in this old west town and they're saying things like she's cute adorable a knockout just my type it's really kind of silly so anyway, one morning at the Daily Planet, as pretty reporter Lois Lane opens a letter addressed to her, and it does that thing in comics that drives me nuts, where because of the positioning of the panel, then the letter the person's reading, the, the lettering is all shifted in weird positions. So it says, Dear Miss Lane, and it's all jammed up against the right-hand side of the paper, like this person just didn't understand, like never took like handwriting classes or you know all that stuff they teach you in school about how to you know form a letter. That's ridiculous. Anyway, it says, Dear Miss Lane, come to uh, Drywood Gulch at once for the biggest scoop of your career, signed a friend. Lois, yeah, she does. She decides, yeah, whatever. Uh, I've got a hunch it's not from a crank, she says. Okay, whatever. She leaves as Jimmy and Perry White are distracted. They're looking at, uh, I guess, like a teletype or something that's telling them about Superman... Uh, being busy getting rid of radioactive fallout from a 50 megaton atomic bomb test. Believe it or not, that's actually relevant to our story. So later, at a cross-country uh, cross bus, it drops Lois off near her destination, and the bus driver actually warns her. He says, are you sure you want to get out here, lady? It's as hot as in Death Valley. And we see him drop her off, and she's like, uh, I know what I'm doing, and you know, she's kind of you know, being Lois Lane. And it's a very weird perspective shot, but the bus is literally dropping her off in the middle of nowhere. She's in the middle of the desert, and way off in the distance, we can kind of see this this weird kind of ghostly... Well, it's a ghost town. She walks to it, and she's thinking to herself, the, the heat is terrible, she needs water, she's not sure at this point if the ghost town is just a mirage... As she makes her way into town, she suddenly... Uh, she's just dumbstruck seeing these men flying around in colorful costumes she walks into town and she sees it's not a ghost town at all it's filled with supermen uh the buildings are alive with activity how can this be and she sees one of them being a super blacksmith and he's uh, creating horseshoes with his bare hands at super speed 
and we see another couple of uh, of these supermen and they drill into the ground to create a new well because they need water and then they spot her now how they didn't spot her previously i don't know she's walking right down the center of town but anyway suddenly they notice her and they're doing the thing from the opening panel where they're landing and they're going she's lovely i saw her first and she thinks to herself they uh, they're obviously wild about me Perhaps I should forget about Superman, who may never propose to me. Maybe I ought to marry one of these Greek gods, she says. Who am I kidding? I could never love any other man but Superman, and I know it. Yeah, she's not the most mentally stable uh, fling that Superman ever had either. Yeah, the uh, the crazy's not uh, isolated to Lana Lang, unfortunately. So anyway... Uh, the leader, I guess, of these people says, Welcome, Miss Lane. And he says, We've been expecting you uh, to come in response to our letter. She says, Who are you, Superman? What are you doing here in this former ghost town? He says, We are Kryptonians, just like Superman. Years ago on Krypton, we banded together and worked on a secret astronaut project unknown to even scientist Jor-El, the father of the child destined to become Superman. While in outer space, during our first experimental space arc flight, Krypton exploded. We came to Earth in our rocket, just like baby Kal-El, uh, who grew up to become Superman. We decided to keep our existence a secret from Earth people and settled here in Drywood Gulch. Now we're ready to uh, announce our existence to the world. However, we respect Superman, so we wouldn't do it without his permission. And another one of the, the Kryptonians says, uh, We want you to give him that message. That's why we wrote to you his friend. She says, I'll return to Metropolis and contact Superman. And then in one of the really weird parts of the story, she's got the wadded up note that they had sent to her. And she says, I don't need the anonymous letter anymore. I'll toss it away. She does this right in full view of these other Kryptonian people. And I'm thinking at the very least, this is their town. This is where these people live. And she's just throwing trash on the street. I'm like, you know, just that's just rude. Anyway, she goes back to Metropolis, she goes back to the Daily Planet, and is just derided by Perry White and Jimmy Olsen. And Perry White just comes around and says, you flipped. And <laughs> Jimmy Olsen says, you don't really expect me to summon Superman with my signal watch because of your wild story, do you? And I'm thinking, what a couple of jerks. I mean, they've seen all kinds of crazy stuff in their lives by this point as, you know, being associates of Superman. So why is this, you know, so far-fetched to them or whatever? Anyway, they don't believe her, but she actually is able to convince them to go out there. So they fly out there, and I don't know, when did Jimmy Olsen, you know, cub reporter, learn to fly a helicopter? But anyway, they fly out there in a helicopter, they land, and now the men of the town are just dressed as simple cowboys and there are no supermen and that just causes jimmy and perry to lay into lois even worse and perry's saying maybe the heat caused you to see a hallucination lois she says i recognize that man no he's dressed differently now i'll question him and it's the bearded kryptonian we saw from earlier but now he's dressed as a cowboy and she says what happened why are you superman now dressed like ordinary cowboys and he says superman was she talking about strangers? Is she touched? <laughs> so there's this whole elaborate ruse where they just pretend to be normal people. And Lois is getting frustrated. And then she remembers, hey, that note. I'll find the note. And we see as she's looking for the note, 
that one of the cowboys uses his heat vision and uh, burns up the note. Why, why somebody hadn't picked it up and thrown it in a trash receptacle by now, I don't know. But anyway, they burn up the note. So Perry and, and Jimmy, they just won't let up. They, they think she's nuts. Well, then we cut to the interior of one of the buildings where we see a bunch of the uh, cowboy Kryptonians are all gathered around and they're going, ha ha. Little does Lois Lane realize we aren't cowboys or Kryptonian astronauts. And another one says she and her friends would be astounded if they knew our real identities. And we get a really cool flashback that shows them in the Phantom Zone. And, and the head guy, the bearded Kryptonian, who seems to be the leader here. None of these people are ever named in the story, by the way. He says, actually, we are Kryptonian criminals who are banished into the Phantom Zone for our horrible crimes before Krypton exploded. There we existed as disembodied wraiths until a recent 50 megaton atomic test blast on Earth ripped open a hole in the Phantom Zone. Hmm. Eight of us, eight of us, managed to escape before the hole closed up again, leaving behind the other phantoms. Upon materializing, we gained superpowers from Earth's yellow sun. And we see the... Uh, Again, the lead guy, the bearded Kryptonian, he's saying, now we're as mighty as Earth's greatest defender, Superman. So then it's out of the flashback, and the bearded one is saying, settling here, we built this phantas phantasmon, phantasmon zoned jetra. What is this word? P-H-A-N-T-A-S, so phantas, but then M-O-N on the end. Phantasmon zoned generator. Why don't you just say phantom? Phantom Zone Generator, which doesn't look like a fan. It looks like an old iron stove or something. It's really weird looking. Uh, he says, it's the power source for our ray guns, which can project anything into the Phantom Zone. Okay, I get it now. So this thing, okay, is the power source. I don't know how that works. Anyway, they say that they wrote the letter to the lane girl summoning her planning to use her to lure superman here so we can project him into the phantom zone and keep him there forever i like this part of the story this is actually why i like this story because again it, all of this is leading eventually hang hang with me dear uh, listener eventually we're going to get to the phantom zone mini series that's what this is all leading to and that is part of the thing with that is superman being set into the zone while the criminals are out of the zone anyway one of the other uh, kryptonian cowboys says but something went wrong with the generator after her visit so we covered that well uh so we covered that well okay and are pretending to be ordinary cowboys we don't want superman here until we repair the generator okay so that's why they're doing all this so anyway Jimmy and Perry, we see them walking back to the helicopter. They're done with this. They're ready to leave. But Lois is really furious. And she goes over and she confronts the bearded guy. And she says, my friends think I imagined it all, but I didn't. You know I'm telling the truth. Truth. Yeah, truth. Truth. <laughs> and the bearded one says, correct, Miss Lane. My companions and I are Kryptonian criminals who escaped from the Phantom Zone. When we finish repairing our generator, we'll imprison, imprison Superman in the Phantom Zone. Ha! We're not afraid to reveal the truth to you now that no one will believe you. I'm thinking that's still pretty dumb for them to reveal their plan. I would think that Superman would believe her. Even if Jimmy and Perry, whatever their deal is. 
Anyway, she just goes, you devils. So anyway, eventually, she is able to convince Perry and Jimmy that she's not nuts. And she actually convinces Jimmy to summon Superman with his uh, ultrasonic signal watch. And so we see the standard, you know, where Jimmy pushes the button, it's going Z, 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 and it calls Superman. How did she convince them? That's part of the mystery in this. So it says, reader, can you guess what Lois had shown Jimmy and Perry? We'll see that at the end of the story. So Superman does show up. So he comes streaking in and he says, what's up, Jimmy? I just returned and got your signal. Great, Scott, these quote-unquote cowboys. He says, my x-ray vision reveals... They're wearing Kryptonian costumes underneath their clothes. They're criminals who were banished into the Phantom Zone. Somehow they've escaped. So he goes over and he confronts the bearded guy and he says, you won't get away with this. I'll return you to the Phantom Zone somehow to serve out the rest of your sentence. Bearded guy steps up and he says, we just completed repairing the Phantasman gen power generator. What? Just caught the Phantom Zone generator. Anyway, he says... It's you who will be banished into the Phantom Zone by these ray guns powered by the generator. Next panel, completely ridiculous. I don't know what superpower they're exerting here, but the cowboy hats and clothes are popping, literally popping, off of all of the cowboys at the same time. It's just ridiculous looking. It, it's, it's so weird. But it, it, it is literally like, pop! And, and their shirts are flying open and their hats are flying off their heads. It says, as the criminals flex their mighty muscles and burst out of their outer garments. Yeah, okay, whatever. How does that make your hat fly off your head? I guess they have the power of super expansion of their cranium to make the hat go off the top of their head. I don't know. Anyway, he says, it was the testimony of your father, Jor-El, that doomed many of us into the Phantom Zone. We'll avenge ourselves by sending you there. So, basically, they challenged Superman to a duel, an Old West duel in the middle of the street. Lois is incensed. She says, but it's unfair. Superman can't possibly outdraw eight super opponents, and you know it. And the bearded guy just says, ha ha, you're breaking my heart, lady. So all eight of them line up, and they say, draw, Superman. Lois, she can't look. She turns away, and Jimmy's going, jeepers, how can even Superman be eight super powerful foes in a draw? If only one of them hits him with the ray first, he'll be projected into the Phantom Zone forever! So next moment, Lois, Jimmy, and Perry White, they're all blinded by ray blast. They can't see, and Lois assumes the worst, going, poor Superman is doomed, sob! Well, when the glare subsides, Superman is the only person still standing in the street. Perry says, great Caesar's ghost, the criminal's have vanished. Of the combatants, only Superman remains. And Lois says, he won. Superman won the showdown fight. And Jimmy says, gee, that's wonderful. So how did he do it? At the moment that they all said draw, Superman used his heat vision to melt all of the weapons of the uh, opposing gunmen so that none of them could actually fire. And then he just took them all out with his ray gun and sent them all back to the Phantom Zone. Um, yeah, okay. Well, they're all just as super fast as he is, so I'm not sure how that works, but uh, I can go along with the gag. Superman says, One thing puzzles me, Lois. How did you manage to convince Jimmy and Perry that these criminals were not cowboys, but really supermen? They put on a terrific act to fool Perry and Jimmy, and she says, I found proof in the town barbershop. Come, and I'll show you. She takes him to the barbershop, where we see 
this rundown old west you know abandoned ghost town barbershop with you know complete with giant cobwebs all over the place and she says see cobwebs everywhere because these kryptonian uh, outlaws didn't need haircuts or shaves like superman their hair doesn't grow in our solar system due to our yellow sun rays besides their hair is so invulnerable no barber's shears would be powerful enough to cut it okay Minutes later, brilliant thinking, Lois, so long now, and he flies away, and she's thinking, I traced down a big story after all. Uh, what makes me happiest of all, though, is that thrilling compliment from Superman, the man I love. I can't decide if she's, like, crazy high maintenance or super low maintenance, um, if a compliment, you know, is enough to, uh, whatever. Okay, so I will admit, not the greatest story in the world, but again, important. Not that any of these zoners are important. To my knowledge, we never see any of these guys again, and I don't know how you would know that if you do anyway, because not one of them is ever given a name in this story. So we have, uh, you know, but it does set a precedent of, this is a lot of zoners out at one time, eight of them out at one time. They could have just pummeled Superman into paste, you would think. Uh, unfortunately, no, uh, no fisticuffs in this story. Um... I find it super weird and bizarre that they are all wearing exactly the same outfit. That's just weird. There's there's no... And I looked very carefully for this. Um, if somebody else was more eagle-eyed than I was, please, spot it, um, please point it out to me. But I looked to see if there was any variation in their costumes and really could not see one. Um, for all intents and purposes, this is a very Jor-El costume that they are wearing. It, it greatly reminds me of... Uh, of versions i have seen of jor-el's costume of course jor-el we all kind of think of him as wearing kind of a standard costume in the silver age but it did vary quite a bit depending on which origin um in which title and which artist you were looking at uh it being given and i know the one for superboy in i think it's more fun more fun comics like 101 or something like that um the outfit he's got in that is way different from most every other outfit you ever saw jor-el in anyway Long story short, the, the Kryptonian costume that all eight of these zoners are wearing very much reminds me of Jor-El. The precedent, though, the really important precedent that this sets up is atomic bombs opening up the Phantom Zone. I'm pretty sure we see that again in the comics, but more importantly, we see that in the film Superman 2. That is how the three Phantom Zone villains uh, eventually escape, and that is when Superman tosses the uh the nuclear bomb from the eiffel tower into space and it explodes it opens the phantom zone and we got that great piece of uh of exposition when lex Luthor is in the phantom or in the uh excuse me not the phantom zone the uh, fortress of solitude uh we're given the explanation that you know a nuclear ex explosion in space might uh, open the phantom zone as well we're seeing that established right here so i thought that was really cool this story is reprinted a couple of times. It's reprinted in Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 104 in 1970, and in uh, Showcase Presents Superman, Volume 3, Trade Paperback in 2007. Now, as I said before, this uh, story here, Superman number 153, was in May of 1962. May of 1962 is a very busy time for the Phantom Zone, as there were no less than three Phantom Zone stories released in that month. So we just looked at the first one. We'll look at the other two stories next episode. 
Speaking of ne next episode, this is what you've got in store for you next time in an all-new I've Got a Few Things to Say about Superman. Crazy Pants Lana Lang, the adult version, decides to get rid of her rival for the Man of Steel's affections permanently in The Phantom, Lois Lane. And telepathy amongst zoners officially becomes a thing as Monel and Supergirl team up to stop Jaxer from running amok on Earth in The Man Who Made Supergirl Cry. You can contact Back to the Fins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie.